When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Real Vision Crypto Unwrapped, where we cut through the noise and hype surrounding digital assets. We're live every Wednesday. I'm Leslie Lamb, CMO of CoinFlex and host of the Crypto Unstacked podcast. Today, here with me are Santiago Velez, co-founder and research and development division lead at Block Digital, and Mona Elisa, founder of Enzyme and founder and CEO of Avantgarde Finance. Please send us your questions through our ProCrypto Discord server, the Real Vision Exchange, our website, YouTube, or Twitter. We want to hear from you. Mona, lots is happening in the markets right now. What are you seeing in terms of the latest price action? Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, so last week was a very, very eventful, probably one of the most eventful weeks we've had in crypto for a long time. Uh, we had uh, news around uh, more than one insolvency uh, where Celsius paused uh, withdrawals. Uh, we had Binance pausing withdrawals for a few hours. We had other smaller exchanges pausing withdrawals. Uh, and uh, the real cherry on the top was on Friday when 3AC uh, or Three Arrows Capital uh, also um, said that they were facing liquidity issues. Um, and this has had pretty uh, severe repercussions on the market. Clearly, I think um, the rep I think that it had already been putting pressure on the market before all of this information was uh, public. And uh, what ended up happening was Bitcoin and ETH uh, made new lows over the weekend. Um, you know, uh, I think Bitcoin is now holding just above twenty thousand dollars. ETH is around the one thousand dollar mark. Um, and, uh, you know, the pressure continues, you know, liquidity has dried up, uh, people are, uh, you know, borrowing is becoming scarcer, uh, lending demands are increasing, uh, as people realize they may have had way too much leverage in the system. And the events of the last week have created somewhat of a bit of a panic, which has unraveled things. It's not like we just entered a bear market. We've obviously been in a bear market for some time. Um, but this has definitely accelerated things to the downside. Interestingly, though, and a little bit more on the positive side, um, you know, there were some interesting stats uh, from Watch Watcher Guru, uh, which uh, indicated that the number of addresses holding at least one ETH hit an all-time high of one and a half million dollars, uh, one and a half million wallets. Uh, so I think uh, that's actually pretty interesting and uh, worth mentioning. Yeah, Santiago, as uh, Mona just mentioned, right, a lot of the recent price action uh, has been driven by liquidity issues in the market. We're seeing this at several major crypto platforms right now. Can you give us a breakdown of what you're seeing and the latest developments? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, you know, just to make the distinction, I think that the overall decline in valuations in the crypto market are largely due to the macroeconomic backtrend. Uh, 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 you, you talk about Federal Reserve tightening, quantitative tightening, 
these are things that central banks all over the world are doing uh, and yields are changing. So uh, that's really the macro backdrop. Uh, what's going on now is the cracks in the ice, if you will, are starting to show and break through. Um, and so liquidity in the crypto space is essentially a closed loop system. Uh, you know, crypto doesn't in itself uh, produce cash flows. Uh, so it's entirely dependent on inflows from other, other systems and fiat systems. And, and what we're seeing now here is uh, leverage, leverage, uh, deleveraging. Uh, various firms, we've talked about Celsius earlier, Three, hours, three Arrows Capital, uh, they were all exercising excessive leverage. Uh, many of those positions were uh, illiquid, either uh, NFTs or uh, in some cases, uh, staked ETH and ETH 2.0 that's locked up uh, permanently. Uh, and uh, derivatives of that, uh, you know, having uh, uh, representations of that ETH on chain. Uh, so all of these things essentially are indicative of a system that is essentially uh, incestuous, right? It's codependent uh, leverage built on top of leverage. And this is a this is a natural unwinding. This is a, a this is a good thing. This is kind of uh, burning the, the 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 brush, clearing out um, all the malinvestment. Uh, so I think it's a process that we have to go through uh, to, to emerge and take lessons learned. We see some of the strongest players emerging, uh, FTX injecting $250 million worth of uh, credit into BlockFi to shore up that position. And just to show how interdependent these, these uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, businesses that are built on top of chains are, uh, three, hours, three Arrows Capital heavily uh, invested or, or borrowed from many of these other uh, uh, lenders, right? We, we're talking about uh, BlockFi, uh, Genesis, Nexo, Celsius. Uh, so when one falls, they all fall. And it's, it's like a domino effect. So um, I, I kind of turn the question back to you, Mona. What do you think uh, is the problem fundamentally with DeFi? Or is there? Is this just natural? And, and, and can we expect this? What, what are your thoughts on DeFi? So I'm going to say something a little bit controversial here because I've heard it said a few times. I've heard people ask me a few times in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, is DeFi dead? You know, how are you thinking about your business going forward? And so on and so forth. I actually think the crux of all of these problems is that uh, it all stemmed actually from CeFi. And the problems um, that's, you know, these are problems we've seen before in centralized finance in the traditional world. They are just replicating themselves once again um, in the crypto markets, they're no different. Um, and to just give you a few examples, if um, things had been, if Three Arrows Capital, Celsius, and others had been completely on a chain, let's imagine how things maybe would have panned out differently. Uh, so as a starting point, they would have uh, been a lot more transparent about their positions. Um, transparency is a mechanism, as we all know, it allows market participants to better discriminate good from bad practices, and this is essential to regulating and maintaining a healthy market. Um, DeFi's value proposition is fundamentally based on this principle. And I guarantee you that pretty much uh, nobody knew the extent of the leverage that 3AC had, uh, including probably the Singapore regulator. Uh, if you do a simple Google search for three hours capital in Singapore, it says that they have a license to run a fund up to $250 million in assets under management. The FT reports this weekend said that they were managing four to $10 billion, which implies that they had leverage ratios 
of 16 to 40 times, which is crazy. Now, I, I can, I don't know this for a fact, and I'm just, you know, uh, gathering information from Google. So this may, big disclosure, this may <laughs> not be fully accurate. But assuming it is, uh, how many of the borrowers or the counterparties that Three Arrows Capital dealt with knew about the excessive leverage they took? And then it's probably also worth asking, did they know themselves? Because, uh, you know, when you start um, managing, you know, assets in, your, in hundreds of different places uh, and the kind of license they had didn't have pretty uh, very aggressive kind of reporting requirements, did they really know, uh, you know, did they fully, fully understand uh, the risk management, uh, you know, their own risk management? Their, did they have full transparency into their own risk? And did they have risk management controls in place? I very much doubt it. And this is a problem we see and have seen time and time again in centralized finance. I would like to make the case that if this fund or if other funds or other projects that have run into uh, problems in the last couple of weeks had been fully on chain, um, that if they hadn't realized themselves, um, you know, what kind of risk they would were running, then their counterparties or their uh, investors would have realized and therefore forced them or disciplined them into performing better by either redeeming or, you know, putting pressure um, from a governance level. The other two aspects that DeFi have that CeFi doesn't have is the fact that they DeFi protocols are non-custodial, which means that, you know, this whole idea of gating or halting withdrawals is much more difficult. It is possible in some cases, but it is much more difficult. And therefore, um, you know, this first in, you know, these first wave of people to exit, uh, it's much harder to gate a, gate a fund on chain. Um, there are certain things you can do that would make that possible, but it's, um, it's much harder. And the last thing is, you know, if we look back to the roots of what sort of accelerated this le this lever this uh, um, liquidation problem or liquidity problem, um, is uh, you know Terra in the was was the Terra Luna collapse. And you Terra has a is a protocol that claimed to be decentralized. In many ways, it was radically transparent. Uh, transparency doesn't always mean that things are good business models. Like if you look at, you know, if you looked deep into the, the white paper of Terra, you would have seen that there were flaws in it. Uh, Terra themselves recognized or Luna Foundation recognized that there were flaws in the model, which is why they uh, created a fund of uh, or a foundation that raised $4 billion to backstop Terra. But where was that backstop? Uh, where was the decentralized governance that you know, in, uh, or trustlessness that enforced that, um, you know, that 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 backstop to to go into play. And could things have worked out differently if governance had worked out as it had been promised? So I think that the key takeaway here is that fear, greed, corruption, conflicts of interest, they can all play into poor decision making and introduce single points of failure. Whereas DeFi is actually decentralized and by having decentralized governance systems in place, you may actually have sanity checks in place to check uh, decisions before making them and protect stakeholders' interest. So I'm sorry, but I totally disagree that this is on the back of DeFi. I think that actually these are CeFi practices are the problem. And arguably, if uh, all of this these these players had been uh, truly decentralized, we may have had a different outcome. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You know, and that, that may require kind of a reimagining of what a, a business that's built on top of the protocol, how, how it actually operates. Because that, that level of transparency, oftentimes, as you alluded to, it's a strategic disadvantage. There are There's predatory capital that will drive uh, your company into a short position if you're leveraged and you'll be liquidated. And, and that kind of transparency, allowed, we're seeing that now with Celsius, we're seeing that with three hours, three hours capital. Everyone knows exactly what that point of liquidation is. And, and there are active people uh, or, or, or groups out there uh, trying to drive them to that, to, to make a profit. So it comes with its own challenge, the, the, the transparency, and, and it may mean just reimagining how you build a, a business. Uh, it, it's not the traditional model. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, Santiago. It does, it, it does uh, create some other challenges and that, that can be debated for hours. But I think ultimately, you know, the question is that if Celsius, um, you know, or other parties were, were you know, um, stress testing their system or preparing for or, 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 or continuously monitoring how much they needed to, you know, how much liquidity they needed in order to make whole on all their redemptions, the reality is they should never have been in some of the positions they were in in the first place. And that's what I meant, that transparency uh, you know, acts as uh, 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 transparency acts as a way of regulating, uh, you know, discriminating good from bad. It regulates and, ma and maintains a healthy market and forces people sometimes or challenges people to rethink certain decisions. Uh, so, you know, I think I think you have a very good point, but I'll I'll also counter it that the, some of these positions for both for all the parties involved probably just required uh, um, much more informative, much more research, much more information, um, and someone or some someone having more information to be able to challenge those de decisions. And that's likely what the regulators were going to say in due, in due time. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to bring in a user question uh, into our discussion here. This is from Samuel Burke. He's the Real Vision Managing Editor. Um, Mona, this is towards you. You said that you think, you know, what's happening with Celsius and other major players in the industry may have been affecting markets before all of this news was made public. What did you mean by that exactly? Well, until last Monday, Celsius, uh, you know, it wasn't confirmed that Celsius was insolvent and same with three hours capital, but uh, it's pretty evident if you track on-chain data that uh, some of these parties, or if you trust on-chain data reports by players like Nansen, uh, you know, the, these people these people were in the market selling staked ETH or selling uh, illiquid positions at heavily discounted prices in order to raise liquidity, which already indicated they were in trouble. In the case of Three Arrows Capital, I think uh, so much of the narrative in the press and uh, rumors were so focused on taking Celsius down, uh, ironically, because I'll mention why in a second, that they actually sort of missed the Three Arrows news or, or the Three Arrows warning signs. And I think that came much more, uh, came as much more of a surprise to people, including myself, uh, towards the end of last week than Celsius had, as Celsius had been rumored for, for weeks. 
Um, the irony actually on the Celsius side is that, um, you know, when we were actually quite close to this situation, uh, Celsius made a decision uh, as of March to start moving some of its assets on chain with its cross with, via Celsius X and actually providing much more transparency through its cross-chain liquidity product uh, to um, be able to start proving to investors that assets were backed one for one. Um, so in a way, I think they were trying to do the right thing. Um, and it's just a shame that maybe it was it came a little bit too late and uh, uh, late in the game. But maybe that's a lesson for other centralized players to think about how um, they're managing their businesses today, how much insight they have into their risk management, um, you know, if, especially if they're claiming to be decentralized, but not limited to that subset of people. Um, you know, open, like, you know, uh, leveraging wisdom of the crowd, giving your borrowers access to that information. Um, you know, transparency is just going to, it, yes, it causes, it, it creates more efficient markets. Sometimes that can be bad because maybe people, you have positions that people don't like. But if you're doing your job well, if you're managing your risk properly, um, it should actually be fine. And by the way, people who don't advocate for transparency, usually it's because they want to get away with the high leverage. And, the <laughs> and so and so I can understand why um, why it's a difficult sell for CFI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. over, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to yeah, add go that the overall lesson learned here for investors, uh, people who, who had value in these protocols or, or products is is, is the ongoing lesson, right? Not not your not your keys, not your crypto. If you don't have custody of these assets, um, they can be frozen and become inaccessible to you. Uh, and also the yield. Uh, where does that come from? Understanding exactly what your counterparty is doing with your assets. How are they generating that yield? And is it sustainable? Uh, the, the lesson from 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 you know uh, from Luna is unsustainable yields. They don't bring in purchasing yeah. power by themselves. I'm glad Santiago mentioned mentioned uh, yield actually because this is um, I think just because yields have collapsed so tremendously in the last few weeks uh, and interestingly for the first time uh, ever I think or since the beginning of DeFi the last DeFi summer uh, you know USD yield on USDC is 0.25 percent which is substantially lower than what you can get on US Treasury bills uh, so this is like quite a big uh, turnaround and. Um, and I think it's interesting um, uh, because I, uh, what I think is this, this whole DeFi is dead narrative is coming from that. I think it's because people associate DeFi with yield. Um, and actually, you know, as, as one of the oldest DeFi players in the space, I think I'm just past six years of DeFi building in my career. I'm here to tell you, like, DeFi has never been about yield for us. Um, it's actually been all about the how, not the what. So, you know, the systems we're building, the transparency we're giving, the non-custodial aspect, the decentralization, the removing the single point of failure, the trustlessness between market participants. That's what DeFi is about. And DeFi has never been more alive than it is today. It's CeFi that I think is really at risk here. And blocks keep getting amended. Smart contracts keep getting processed. Mm -hmm. These networks are operating fully functional uh, with, without a problem. So this is really a problem with the, 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 the business constructions on top, not the actual protocols themselves. 
Yeah, this move towards greater transparency, I think, is the narrative, regardless if you're talking about DeFi, CeFi, this whole industry of stable coins as well. I know viewers who are tuning in, uh, you know, week after week, hear us talk about stable coins. Um, but still, I think this transparency is the reason uh, that that differentiates the different types of categories that we're seeing, you know, among stablecoins. USDT, obviously, top of mind. Um, you know, it's sixty-seven billion dollars right now in market cap. It still remains the king of stablecoins. Um, but you know, qu questions are still swirling around as to what the actual collateral uh, uh, assets are. Right, as of March thirty-first um, of of this year, um, that collateral reserve snapshot right now is showing 86% in cash and cash equivalents, uh, other short-term deposits and commercial paper, about 4.5 of that uh, in corporate bonds, funds, precious metals, another 4% in secured loans, another about 6% in other investments, including digital currencies. Now that's as of uh, March 31st of this year, a lot has happened since that. So this composite definitely has changed. Um, and it's not new news, right? That, that Tether has been under pressure to improve the transparency around their reserves. Um, and that's what we've been speak, uh, speaking about, you know, during today's discussion. So one thing uh, that was announced recently that Tether will be doing is undertaking a full audit, not just an attestation of the stablecoin with the top 12 auditing firm. Um, and I think, you know, more reporting uh, from Tether will definitely help to build up trust for the stablecoin. I don't think anyone uh, is, you know, thinking that, hey, if Tether goes down, this would be good for the industry, similar to how we think, hey, look, if there are large players in crypto, uh, you know, some of them that were named earlier, you know, if they were to go down, that this would be good for the industry. Um, it's, it's, it's not necessarily coming from that point of view. It's just saying in the name of transparency, um, it's good for users of stable coins to know exactly, you know, what the stability risk is of this stable coin, right? And this comes uh, entirely from transparency, again, of the collateral assets. Now, when we look at, you know, another uh, top stable coin, USDC, it has roughly about $56 billion right now uh, in market cap. Um, just for viewers who don't know the difference between USDT and USDC, USDC has been uh, backed by similarly uh, a number of uh, cash and cash equivalents. Um, these reserves are kept uh, at U.S. financial institutions, including BlackRock and Bank of New York Mellon, uh, which again lends to more credence to the stablecoin uh, versus a tether. Um, these these reserves. Uh, that include cash and a three month or shorter US Treasury right now um, are, are pretty much what make up the whole of the reserves. And compared to Tether, right, these reserves assets are much less diversified. So, in that sense, you know. Oh, I think we lost the. Well, you know, I would comment on the USDC versus T. Uh, it, to me, it seems like a flight to quality. Uh, the, the spectacular rise of USDC. Uh, it indicates to me that investors globally are looking for those reserve assets, risk off assets during this volatility uh, that are reliable and could, could theoretically be redeemed. Uh, being a U.S. jurisdiction circle, um, focusing on payments and other uh, uh, integrations with the U.S. financial system seems like a player that is more reliable, at least for storing your assets you know, in crypto. And we're seeing that in the behavior of on-chain transactions with various stable coins. So 
Uh, USDC now exceeding USDT on Ethereum in terms of on-chain transactions for the first time. I think that's very telling, uh, and I think we'll see um, we'll see that progress. We'll see that that trend continue in the flight to to quality uh, up until uh, such time that the Federal Reserve or the uh, Office of the Currency Controller decide that. Uh, they want to bring uh, stable coins into the fold uh, as some form of retail CBDC or, or, or derivative of a CBDC. Uh, so that seems to me the kind of the overall trend. Uh, your thoughts, Mona? Yeah, I mean, I think Leslie touched on it, but uh, I think Tether, USDC, and the flippening that you just mentioned is a perfect example of how the market is discriminating against Tether, the less transparent of the two, uh, and uh, in times of stress. And... In 2018, if you remember, uh, the market tested Tether. Uh, there were 40% uh, of USDTs redeemed against US dollar and they managed to redeem one for one. Uh, this time round, I think the market will test it again. And I think that um, I, the last time I checked, it was 10 or 15% uh, of USD had been redeemed. Uh, I think we might test the 40% levels and more again. As long as USDT can always give back $1 for every one USDT, it's going to be fine. Uh, but if the market, um, you know, discovers that, uh, that they can't, uh, this could be catastrophic uh, for the space. And it just proves once again, and, and the market will test it because it doesn't have the transparency it needs. So the audit is definitely a, a move in the right direction. Um, so yes, I, I think the flippening doesn't come as any surprise. I think, uh, you know, transparent, decentralized, more, more decentralized protocols like USDC, DAI, uh, are having their um, are, uh, are are performing much better just because of the the fact that people trust in them more because they have that transparency. Great points. Uh, so you know, let's let's talk a little bit about what's driving these markets in terms of the granddaddy of the ball, Bitcoin. Uh, we have a clip of the day that we're going to show today. Uh, Weston Nakamura, Real Vision's own, recently um, filmed a, a, a short segment on how uh, the uh, crypto market is missing one of the key drivers, which is the, uh, the derivatives and ETF markets affecting uh, Bitcoin. So we're going to play this clip. and You can decide for yourself if you agree with Weston and we'll discuss. In October 2021, there was a 40 or 45% sudden rally like from the beginning of October to its all-time highs later that month. This was a futures-led 40-50% rally in Bitcoin in the span of about 20 days due to these Bitcoin futures-backed ETFs acquiring Bitcoin futures in order to launch their ETFs, which contain Bitcoin futures. In other words, what we saw in October, that 50% rally in 20 days, that was an artificial rally, if you want to think of it that way. Okay. This was not new capital rushing into BDC spot, right? Despite like any and every up, you know, up move in BTC spot being celebrated as such. Like, this is the problem I have with something like on chain metrics analysts, right? On chain metrics are great, right? But the analysts themselves, I mean, they can attribute any up move to some sort of like, here comes the real money metric, whatever. Um, and they, they also never, ever consider looking at like non-crypto cross-asset markets. Okay. So the October rally, 
to new highs. That was not real. That was not like a real rally. Meaning prior to this rally, spot BTC was sitting at 40K. And that is where you should really think of as, quote, fair value, if one could determine such a thing. But not like measuring off of that artificial pop and like we're 70% down from there. Who gives a fuck from like 69,000? That was ETFs setting up their business and like a bunch of other flows that are running alongside or front running them. That's all that was. That's why it didn't last, which means that when we're all, when like all of us are measuring Bitcoin is down 70% off its like artificial highs, you know, or, or saying like Bitcoin starts 2022 off in bear market territory down 20% off its like November highs. That November 2021, like 69,000 level is absolutely not where we should be measuring from. Like, who knows what fair value of Bitcoin ever is? Maybe we'll never know, right? But it certainly wasn't fair value um, at near 70K on an ETF creation pump. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Extremely timely update from Weston. Uh, just a day later, ProShares, the provider of the same uh, BITO ETF, launched a short BT futures ETF, US ticker BITI. Uh, so we've got a question around this launch of the BITI short uh, ETF from Jonathan L from, coming from our RV website. So how will the new inverse BTC ETF play into this? Uh, you know, in my view, if if we take uh, Weston's assessment as true that the um, the BITO ETF itself was a, a large factor in driving the price of Bitcoin up to you know, its all time high essentially saying that in inflows from outside liquidity were not the main driver, uh, but but uh, speculation and, and, and these these futures, then logically one would say that a, 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 a short would do the opposite, that it would drive uh, things further down. Uh, that remains to be seen. It, I think it largely depends on, again, the macroeconomic and backdrop environment uh, and whether or not um, tightening financial conditions is gonna further drive markets down. Uh, that could be compounded by the short, um, but we could also get some some uh, rallies and some short squeezes in the interim. So it's a product that investors need to be very careful with uh, and understand how it could it could you know it could burn you both ways. Uh, these short squeeze rallies uh, can be vicious, uh, so so be very careful with those thoughts, ladies. What, what do you think about the ETF short? Yeah, so first, uh, one ProShares representative came out and said that the launch of uh, BITI had nothing to do with the timing of this most recent market correction. Um, who knows? But uh, I thought that was just interesting that he mentioned that. Um, 
look, I think it's interesting to think about the purpose of the short or inverse ETF, right? Uh, when it comes to shorting assets and crypto and generally, um, you know, you can do so by b borrowing an asset from a counterparty. Uh, a lot of the times this is at a very high borrowing cost, um, or you can do it, you know, on an exchange in which you'd be required to post margin, uh, meaning collateral, right, in order to take out a short position in the market. Um, this is not something that everyone knows how to do and actively manage. Um, largely, you know, these are things that are done by institutional players in size. So I think something like this with uh, this inverse ETF really increases the access to shorting. And again, maybe this, you know, bearish market sentiment um, lends to that. Uh, and if you're shorting through an ETF structure, you know, versus um, through or just the underlying asset directly, right? So in this case, Bitcoin, um, you can also really benefit from a more low more robust liquidity. Um, so again, pro shares, uh, the liquidity for this ETF is being sourced through the CME, which is now one of the largest Bitcoin futures exchanges, um, especially if you sorted by OI, I believe it's it's one of the top two or three. And so um, you, you really benefit from not only this liquidity, but also ease of access. Um, and, you know, you're not the one needing to actively manage, you know, your position in the market. If it hits a liquidation price, you're out. Um, so it's um, it's. It's, it's definitely something from an accessibility point of view when we think about, um, you know, structures uh, that lend to greater adoption of crypto, especially on the trading side. Um, this is something just objectively speaking. Um, it's good to have a tool like this out in the market for people to trade. Um, but what's funny is that there's still no spot Bitcoin. ETF. Uh, so yeah, I don't know, Mona, if you have you know thoughts on that, whether you think that will be coming out anytime soon. I don't, but on the access, I don't have any particular thoughts on this topic. But uh, what I think is interesting is in terms on the point of accessibility. Again, I think this is DeFi, something DeFi can offer today. Um, you know, DeFi can help anyone access um, uh, borrow on Bitcoin today. Uh, rates are fairly low. It's just not very expensive to do though. Do that um, until recently, you know, those uh, the borrow had to be fully collateralized. Uh, so I get that that's not completely capital efficient. Um, but more recently, you know, you're able to borrow um, in an uncollateralized way uh, via platforms like Maple Finance or TrueFi. And so I think, um, you know, you know, maybe, maybe slash definitely, I'm I'm sitting in a biased seat here, but I think that. Uh, that hopefully DeFi will also um, provide that accessibility. And I think ETFs, frankly, are, uh, or centralized ETFs are probably, uh, you know, they, they work for kind of institutions, uh, people who are familiar with them and feel comfortable with the fact, people who want custodial solutions. Um, but for those who uh, like to hold custody of their own assets, for people who can access those markets, uh, thanks to DeFi, there are alternatives that exist today. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up here for the show, we always like to end on what we don't have time to talk about, but you need to know. Santiago, I'm going to throw the first story to, uh, to you. What do you have today? Empire continue to strike back. Uh, Israel and Hong Kong teaming up to test a digital currency uh, to evaluate uh, cyber risks on retail. This is the uh, traditional uh, adopting this technology as best they can uh, to bring CBDCs. Uh, so they're coming. Uh, there is a vast majority of 
central banks around the world either studying or actively implementing experimentation around CBDCs. Uh, so it's incumbent on the decentralized space to step up its game and provide uh, services that will compete with this, uh, because this is this is something we all have to prepare for as they're preparing for it. And the Bank of International Settlements is actively involved with these experimentations and coordinations and research around these assets. So big, big news. Cool. Um, on my side, I thought it was interesting to note that uh, Solana's DeFi platform, Solend, uh, voted to control the whale account in a bid to avoid liquidation chaos, uh, as headline said um, the last couple of days. Uh, I think this was a very interesting uh, 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 turn of events uh, and a really great example of where decentralization, where community might work. Um, interestingly, uh, a very small threshold vote uh, there was a, sorry, going back to the beginning, whale account was about to get liquidated, liquidated. They had Solana tokens as collateral. Solana community was afraid that if they did get liquidated, that would put a ton of selling pressure on Solana tokens. So the Solend platform governance around the platform voted with a very small, you know, uh, absolute number of tokens to freeze this wallet. Um, interestingly, the backlash on this has been so big I don't think any actual action has been taken yet to freeze the wallet. And I think um, that this decision might be revoked. And this is a great example of where DeFi, decentralized governance systems might work. Um, still to be seen, but I think this is a space we should be watching. Yeah, the lawyers are going to have a field day with it at some point <laughs> for property rights. <laughs> for sure. And my story is about Deloitte and NYDIG, NYDIG, setting up an alliance to help businesses adopt Bitcoin. Uh, they're partnering to enable blockchain and digital asset uh, services for companies to engage with Bitcoin-related products, uh, including banking, loyalty, and reward programs. Um, I think you know the the story is important because despite the markets, you know these firms are betting on the long-term staying power of blockchain technology uh, as more applications are built for real-world use cases. So that was an interesting one to see. All right. So finally, the Real Vision team is present at one of the world's biggest NFT events called NFT NYC, which is taking place right now in New York. Elaine Lee spoke with some creators uh, out there about their thoughts uh, amid a crashing market. Um, so let's see a preview of this interview. As a leader now in the space, I mean, I've got to ask you, crypto's down, yeah. NFT is down. Sentiment is high, though. It's it's tough. I mean, it's a uh, while while people look at our collection and in any NFT, there's the correlation that you know it's built on the blockchain. There's a this crypto related. Uh, we're a transmedia IP company, so like we're decoupling from that. So we don't we don't ever want to be solely tied to how the market's performing. You know, think of Pokemon or, or Pikachu or Hello Kitty. Like we're we're aiming to take that that branding and that IP and really explode it beyond NFTs and the blockchains. Crypto is down. Market is down. But I think, from what I can see, the Genesis Collection held their floor price pretty well. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the new one and why are you even thinking about launching a new collection in a very tough winter? We were the only NFT collection that was launched over 60 days ago in the mid-cap range, so one to seven floor ETH that has increased in price over the last 60 days. So we've not only held, we've actually gone up in price. You'll be able to watch a lot more from the event on Real Vision Crypto next week. That's it for this week's show. Remember, you can keep the conversation going in the comments section 
on the exchange and on, on our pro crypto discord server. If you're looking for more crypto content, Ash Bennington's interview with Christine Kim from Coindesk on the Ethereum merge comes out tomorrow. That's available free for all uh, to watch on Real Vision Crypto for subscribers. See you next Wednesday live on Crypto Unwrapped.